Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Hey, so glad you all are here. Are you glad you're here? Well, you guys look good, and uh, we're going to have a good day today. And uh, it's been Missions Emphasis Month. And, and man, last week we had a, a, a discussion panel of our local ministries that we serve alongside and it just dawned on me man that they help our church be better at becoming the hands and feet of Jesus because there's ministries that God has placed in their heart a passion that burns deep within them that they pursue and then we are allowed and blessed and honored to come alongside them and help us be better as a church being the hands and feet in our community and in our world. And so whether it's a, uh, an international mission ministry that we work alongside and, and, and support, or whether it's local, I'm excited about it. And I hope that you have uh, become more aware of some of the options and opportunities we have for you to serve and to be missional in, uh, in your life. And I, and I hope more than being aware, I hope you're quite honestly, hope you're convicted of how God could use you at a different level to engage in his great mission of reaching the world. So I'd like to say thank you to Clark, who's our director of our, our missions pastor, and, for, and to Rachel and the whole missions team, because it's been a great week, and, 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 and I'm very excited to be a part of the missions organizations that, we're, that we connect with, and then also that we do on our own. And so uh, we're going to be looking again at the little book of Jonah, and it's a, a missions manual and I've, I've never seen this before, but it just has been all over me. It's a missions manual for us as a church and for you and me as individual followers, disciples of Jesus. It, it tells us things missionally that we should do. It points out and highlights some things that we should not do. And in the end, it paints a very clear picture of exactly what God will do with or without us. And, and so that's where we're at. So we're in Jonah. If you're in a paper Bible, go to the index and find it because you won't find him otherwise. He's tucked away in the Old Testament for little chapters, just a, a few pages. And, and I'm calling this mini-series the biggest little mission story ever. The biggest little mission story ever. Now, on the back of your worship guide, this thing is kind of unfolded in a series of messages and we haven't gotten a lot of points in each one because the points in themselves became messages. The first one is a command to missions. Tell the person next to you, you've been commissioned by Jesus. It's true. You can ignore it. You can be disobedient to it, but you're still under the commission and the command of Jesus to uh, share his love with the world. Number two, a common response to missions, that's by us, not by God. A common response is, as we've seen Jonah, is to do what we're not supposed to do, to head in the other direction. And often that's what you and I do. Rather than being obedient, our common response is just simply, I am not going to do it. And so we saw that. Thirdly, there is always a standing commitment to missions, and it's not our part, it's not your part, my part personally. It, the, the standing commitment to missions is by God Himself. It never wavers uh, from the moment that He created everything we know tangibly as existence. The moment He created the stars and, and the earth and, the, and the, the plant life and the animals and those image bearers, us, the moment He created, He had a plan, and it is a missional 
plan. He knew we would rebel. He knew we would become sinful. He knew we would fall away from him and our relationship with him would be broken. And and he had a missional mindset in that moment. Before time began, he already knew he would wrap himself in skin, come to this earth on a rescue mission to radically uh, change our lives and to alter our eternal destiny. And so he is always committed to mission. And this is the beautiful part. His mission, and he's God, he knows what he's doing. For some reason, he could have spelled it, his whole mission in the sky, in the stars of the sky. He could have spoken through the animal kingdom, but he has chosen to use you and me one by one and corporately collectively as a church to share his mission to the world and so he is committed number four today we're going to look at a compelling reason to join the mission I hope by the end of today's service you will realize and you will be compelled to engage in the mission that God has for your life now we said already the mission of God is simply this God inviting people from all people group in uh, people groups into his forever family. That's the mission. God inviting people from all people groups into his forever family. That's the mission. The, that's the greater mission. The great commission is him engaging us in that process one by one. And so the compelling reason to join the mission is found in Jonah chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 5. So in the first four verses, there's just a, a bunch of stuff. It is just packed with, uh, with our typical response to the mission, okay? So in context, this is what happens. Jonah is a minor prophet. He's not minor because he's small. You know, he's minor because his writing is small. It's a very concise book, just four chapters. And so he's a minor prophet, meaning he knows God, meaning he speaks the oracles of God, meaning he understands the command of God, meaning he is all about God. But in this moment, God has called Jonah to do something in, in entirely different than he's ever done. He's no longer speaking on behalf of God to his people in Israel, in Jerusalem. He's been called to go into the enemy territory to speak what God says to speak. And that, that expression from God is this. That expression is preach judgment unless there is repentance he, that's that's what it is and so we, we we talked about that Nineveh is not just the city next door Nineveh is a direct enemy not just of Israel but all people groups Nineveh is the the are the Assyrians and they are wicked wicked people we talked about it they would come into a town and and they would peel the skin off the men and bury them in sand so their bodies would burn they would pull their tongues out and drive a pin through it and watch them thirst to death and begin to hallucinate and go crazy meanwhile they would abuse their wives and their children and their little girls in front of them they were wicked people they'd chop their heads off when they died pile them up in a pyramid to let people know we've been in town and God says Jonah man of God prophet of God I want you to go into that city and speak judgment is coming he didn't want to go and you wouldn't either and we complain because we don't want to tell Uncle Jimmy because he's hard about Jesus we complain because you don't know my boss man I can't share Jesus with him he's not asking you to go to Nineveh he's asking you a simple command a commission to share the mission of God the love of God found in Jesus with the world that you find yourself in now Jonah in his disobedience rather than going 500 miles inland uh, east to Nineveh he says, I'm not doing that. So he jumps on a ship at Joppa to go 2,000 miles west to Tarshish. 
And Tarshish is in the southern point of Spain. And so he's on a ship being 100% disobedient to God's commission for his life. And God hurls a little storm. He just whips up a little storm focused on that spot in the Mediterranean Sea where the boat that Jonah is on is located. And that's where we pick up today. They're in the storm. Verse 5 reads like this. The sailors were so afraid that each cried out to his own God. And they flung the ship's cargo overboard to make the ship lighter. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold below deck, had lain down, and was sound asleep. Pause, wait a minute, time out. They don't work out that way. Something going on right here. The seasoned sailors, the ones who find themselves on the sea in a storm on a regular basis, they are fearful. Now, don't get me wrong. That's okay. They could find themselves at a place where they fear for their life if a storm was so bad. But the problem is not with the sailors. The problem is we have not a seasoned sailor, but we have a rebellious prophet who's not a sailor, and he's in the hull of the boat taking a nap. I have no problem with a big fish in this story. I have a problem with a sea so rough and a ship so uh, torn that the sailors are afraid and here's a guy laying in the bottom of the boat sound asleep. It doesn't take that for your average person. That's not normal. In fact, for your average person, a couple of rounds on the teacups at Disney World followed by the dwarf mine ride with your family and you're ready to throw up. And here's Kendra, amen. Yeah, Kendra knows that's true. <laughs> she gets on the teacups with our grandchildren, and they're wanting to spin it. And she tells me, let them spin it. Because if I'm spinning it, I'm looking for G-force, okay? And so that's all it takes typically. And here's a guy sound asleep in the hull of the boat. Why? Here it is. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because when God wants to speak to you, he changes the nature of who you are. He wanted Jonah to be up and ready. He wanted Jonah to be ready for the disciplinary action that he was getting ready to undergo. Just like Jesus on the cross, they wanted to give him uh, a wine with alcohol in it to numb the pain. Jesus said, I don't want that. I want to experience the full effect of my sacrifice for the world. The same thing for Jonah. God says, no, I want you to know what I'm doing in your life. You are my child, my prophet. You're disobedient, and I want you to know what's going on. And so I don't want you to be laying down there throwing up sick. Let me tell you something. Anybody in here ever been seasick? Raise your hand. If you've ever had a stomach virus, inject that with crack. Take it, multiply it a hundred times. Now you got seasick. I've been so sick on a boat that I've told the captain of the boat who was cussing me for not for not fishing well, I told him he could cut me up and use me as bait. Now, I went in the belly of that boat, and I prayed, God, I need a helicopter to come and get me. This is not seasick. I'm having an aneurysm in my stomach. I'm dying on this sea, and I trust you, and he healed me. He healed me on the boat. Different, I wasn't, like, I wasn't disobedient. He healed me. Okay, now, now, it's bad, but it's not bad for Jonah because God wanted Jonah <clears throat> to experience the disciplinary action that he was getting ready to put him through. Now, verse 6, let's continue. He says, the ship's captain approached him and said, now he's speaking to Jonah. He says, what are you doing asleep? Get up, cry out to your God. Perhaps your God might take notice of us so that we might not die. 
The sailors said to one another, come on, let's cast lots to find out whose fault it is that this disaster has overtaken us. So they cast lots and Jonah was singled out. And they said to him, tell us whose fault it is that this disaster has overtaken us. What's your occupation and where do you come from and what's your country and who are your people? Now pause right here. So here's what's going on. The captain comes down. He says, what are you doing asleep? Our guys are dying. The ship is coming apart and we are going down. And you are down here asleep and you need to pray to your God. All of the sailors have prayed to their lowercase g idol God. You need to pray to whoever your God is because we are dying. All right, now, in the middle of his disobedience, in the dungeon of disobedience, out emerges minor prophet Jonah, and listen to what he says. He says in verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land time out. No, you ain't. You're not worshiping him. You're laying in the bottom of a boat headed in the opposite direction of where God wants you to be. You know what that conversation, what that testimony? In the middle of his rebellion, he's going to get his praise on. Gonna get a, can I get a witness? He's going to get his testimony out, right? In the middle of his disobedience. You know what that sounds like? Susan will know this. Oscar will know this. Sounds like going downtown. Go downtown, a homeless guy, he's three sheets in the wind. I don't know what he drank that day, but he don't know up from down. And you can tell because he's got road rash all over him where the street won. And you start talking to him a little bit about Jesus, and you know what he wants to do, Clark? He's going to get some scripture out. He's going to pull some scripture out. Now, if you've never done that, you talk about a story. All right? He's going to get some scripture. The Lord said, you know. And he's in the middle of disobedience 101. I mean, everything in his life looks like a train load of disobedience, but in the moment, he's going to get his testimony out. Let me just tell you, when you're in the heart of disobedience, just hold on to your testimony because it does not make you look good, and it makes God look bad. He picked the wrong time to testify, and we're going to see that as we continue in this story. Now, what does it look like for an everyday average uh, run-of-the-mill Christian today? It looks kind of like Jonah. We got a testimony, but our life choices does not align with our testimony. It looks like sometimes this, church on Sunday, there's my testimony. Gossip, though, maybe a little bit on Monday. Maybe a little gambling, a lotto ticket on Tuesday. Maybe a little bit of cheating on Wednesday. I might get intoxicated on Thursday and be promiscuous on Friday. I'm going to cuss the ref on Saturday, but then I'm going to clean up and go to church on Sunday. Repeat. There's something wrong with that. Let me just tell you, that is not what God has sent his son Jesus to die brutally on a cross to rescue us to. He rescued us from that to a different place, a, a different statement, a different declaration of our testimony. You see, what we need to do is let church on Sunday be the declaration that we stand on on Monday through Saturday. Amen? And when we declare it up front, when we just go ahead and come out of the closet and say, hey, I'm not a Hebrew, but I'm a Christian. And hey, I know the Lord, and I worshiped him on Sunday, and I'm worshiping him today. He made the stars and flung them into the sky. 
He created everything that we see, and that includes you and me. And I worship him, and I live for him. So let me tell you, you ought to expect my life to be different from the rest of the world. Not just on Sunday, but every day, because he's a good God, and he chose somebody like me. Amen? Now, if we do it on the front end, instead of waiting till we get in the middle of a mess and say, let me get my testimony out, it'll start impacting the world around us and we will save ourselves a whole lot of troubles. I, I was thinking about places where it would be good if we went ahead and made our declaration up front. And I was thinking about my, my whole life growing up that in school it would be a good time to make a declaration middle school there's a good place elementary school yeah but middle school good opportunity to make a declaration to set the benchmark to lay the foundation uh, maybe when we go to college <laughs> maybe on our date I remember a friend of mine his mom told him whenever he went on a date he, she wanted him to lay the New Testament in the seat between him and his date that way if there's going to be any foul play they had to go across Matthew Mark Luke and John to get to each other that's good counsel okay that's your foundation or your benchmark oh maybe we grow up and we get out of school and and we end up going on a uh, sales meeting out of town <laughs> there's a good opportunity to make a declaration before you get in the middle of it Maybe you are like Kendra and I and before COVID, and we really like to go on a cruise ship. We love going on cruises. Kendra loves it because my phone doesn't work. I love it because the whole world is a buffet. And so part of the buffet is when you're sitting out on the deck, they coming around, you know, with these fancy drinks. I don't drink alcohol, and, and they make me want to. I mean, fancy little drink with stuff hanging out the top. Any little Jamaican man, anybody want to buy the, and I, I, that's not even Jamaican accent, but it's the best I got. Anybody want to buy the kiss on the lips? You know, anybody want to buy, you know, when they got these, uh, the drunken monkey? Anybody want to, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about trying that, okay? No, I've already made a declaration. And then you go to dinner, and most of the people at your dinner table are drinking, and that's, I don't care, okay? That's their decision. But then they want to inquire as to maybe why we're not drinking, you know, and and it's odd that you would almost rather say, well, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I have to go to AA every week, rather than say, I live for Jesus and he's convicted my heart, it's not best for my world, okay? That's our declaration. And so we find these moments where we get to make a declaration. Are you ready? Sunday morning is a declaration. I'm so glad you're here. I don't know if I told you that. You make my day every Sunday when I walk out. Before, I don't look out here before service starts because I get depressed. Because all y'all still out there hanging out drinking coffee, and that's cool. And Caleb gets worried. And then about two songs deep, everybody makes it in here. I come out here, and I see you all. Voila, I love it. Okay? And I love you all. It's important that Sunday becomes a declaration for you. That you say, you know what? I'm going to church on Sunday. Did you know a Gallup poll just recently completed shows that the average church, the average Christian attends church 1.2 times per month. Now, how do you get 1.2? I guess you go once and then, once and then you sleep 80% of the second one. I don't know. Okay? You go once a month and then CEOs, Christmas, Easter only, churchgoers, you get those two in and then it all averages out 1.2. Can you believe that one, once a month? 
almost once a month is how much people attend church. And it's important that you go to church. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, such as is common. Even so, even more so as you see the day, the return of Christ approaching, appearing. And so we're supposed to come to church. So you did good today, okay? What about next week? Now, why is it important? Because Sunday becomes a declaration moment. A place where we make a statement and a stand. We make a statement to ourselves. I'm committed to Jesus and his church. I'm going to go where the word is preached and the songs are sung to worship our great God. We make a statement to our spouses, to our husbands, to our wives. We make a statement to our children of what's important. We make a statement to our neighbors Every Sunday, they're leaving. There they go. They'll be back around noon. We make a statement to other families in our church that we're in this, this, this life together. We make a statement to our employers. We make a statement to the enemy forces. And most importantly, we make a statement to the God who came to this earth to die to rescue us. That I am going to go meet with you. I have an appointment, God, with you, and it's every day, any place, but something about Sunday morning, collectively, corporately, together, God just does something special. And it's important that that becomes a declaration moment in our life. And so we move on and we realize that Jonah is bringing out his God card at the wrong time, and that's a problem. It's not ready. He's not ready to give a testimony. How do we know? Because <laughs> his storm ain't over yet. Sometimes when we start testifying before we have everything right with our God, it lands on deaf ears and God intensifies the storm because we haven't gotten the memo yet. We haven't figured it out yet. And God as our Father also disciplines the bible says whom he loveth he also chasteneth the bible says in hebrews 12 8 if you are not disciplined then you are not legitimate not true sons and daughters at all god disciplines those he loves sometimes a father has to make and take uncomfortable steps to encourage his children back in the direction they need to go and it's not pleasant on either side I'll tell you this, uh, Kelsey's not in here so I can talk about her. Um, one of my daughters, and when she was little, she's, she's a beautiful girl, she's sweet, she's quiet most of the time, she's, she's very bright, great teacher, but when she was a little girl, she was a little spunky. Sometimes she would push me just a little bit. Anybody ever have a child that push you just a little bit? Yeah, all of us. If you had a child, they do that because the apple don't fall far from the tree. And so Kelsey came out one day. We lived in Alabama, and our driveway went down a hill, crossed the street, went down a steep hill to our neighbors. Kelsey came out. She said, Daddy, she was probably seven. She said, Daddy, I'm going over to Rachel's to play. I'm going to ride my bicycle. I said, uh, don't, don't ride your bicycle over there just yet. Let me finish this, and I'll go with you because our driveways are steep, and there might be a car coming. Now, I said it just about as clear as God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Okay? So you know what she did? She pointed her bicycle across the street and headed straight across the street to Tarshish. <laughs> I'm her father. I love her. You know what I did? 
I dropped what I was doing, and I walked over to Tarshish. I knocked on the Tarshish, because she went right inside the house. I knocked on the door at Tarshish. I said, Miss Tarshish, her name was Elna, but we're calling her Miss Tarshish right now. I said, my daughter Kelsey's in your house. She can't play at Tarshish today. I need you to send her out. So she sent her out, and while I was walking her back across the street, just like God did to Jonah, I hurled a little storm on our house, and it landed in her bedroom. And so I walked her upstairs in her bedroom, and the storm had already been hurled waiting for her. And that storm, strangely enough, landed right on her rear end. I spanked her. I did. Now, maybe you don't spank your kids. You can go visit them in jail when they get older. Now, I didn't whip her with an extension cord. I didn't dunk her in ice cold water and put her up for adoption. I spanked her, lovingly disciplined her, told her how much I loved her, told her about the dangers of crossing the street, told her about the steepness of the hill on a bicycle, went through everything, and I said, baby, you know I love you. I said, do you understand? And this is what she said. Can I go back to Tarshish? Can I go to Rachel's house? You know what we both found out right there? The storm was not over. Now, I share that story because I didn't want, I never wanted to spank our children. I never wanted to say a harsh word to them. But I loved the absolute stew out of them. And I would do anything, even if it hurt me. To help them be what God wanted them to be. And so that's what a father does. And that's what God has done and is doing in the life of Jonah. And his storm is not over. Now, now what we do sometimes, we, it's, it, it, isn't it so much better to talk about like Kelsey and her disobedience? Isn't it better to talk about Jonah? What a loser, Right? What about when we look in the mirror and we realize I look like Jonah? What was me? I, I do that. I decide against the will of God what I think is best for my life. Now listen to me. When we do that, we have just brought God down and made us God. When we think we have a better plan for our life, than God who created us and loves us and died in our place, we have totally moved in the wrong direction. And I know it's true because every single Sunday we come to church, we, our whole life, we go to church and we hear something from God's word and the Holy Spirit may quicken us, may invite us out of that rebellion into a place of obedience. Sometimes we even feel the discipline of it all, the storm that we know has been hurled in our direction because of our disobedience. And we are so stubborn and obstinate, we will not receive it. Here at the church, uh, Tim, our executive pastor, who I love, and he does counseling too, and we tell people, man, it's okay to go get help. Go talk to somebody. And sometimes they do, and Sometimes they don't. And so we all get to a place where, just like Jonah, the storm's not over yet because we haven't learned what we need to learn yet. Now watch this, verse 10. Hearing this, the men became even more afraid. And they said to him, what have you done? 
The men said this because they knew that he was trying to escape from the Lord because he had previously told them. Verse 11. Because the storm was growing worse and worse, they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? And he said to them, pick me up, throw me in the sea so that the sea will be calm for you. Because I know it's my fault that you are in this storm. Instead, they tried to row back to land, but they were not able to do so because the storm kept growing worse and worse. So they cried out, Lord, please, Lord, don't let us die on account of this man. I'm going to read that again. They cried out to the Lord, oh, please, Lord, don't let us die on account of this man. Don't hold us guilty of shedding innocent blood. After all, you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. So they picked Jonah up and they threw him into the sea and the sea stopped raging. And the men feared the Lord greatly and earnestly vowed to offer lavish sacrifices to the Lord. This whole chapter of events lands in the hands of one person. You see, sometimes we read this book and we don't even get past that it's Jonah and the big fish. I, yeah, I just don't really believe Jonah and the big fish. It's not about Jonah and a big fish. It's a picture of a loving God who disciplines his children because he realizes he loves them so much he wants what's best for them. And he realizes every time one person disobeys God, they're not the only one in the story. You see, every person has a circle of influence. Every person has a group that they're part of, that they, a, 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 a school of fish that they swim with. And when one of those begins to be disobedient to God, that whole school of fish, that whole circle of influence begins to suffer alongside that one person. Disobedience to the will, the way, the mission of God sends storms of suffering into the lives of all those around us. And it's painful and it's unfortunate. You see, that's the nature of sin itself. Sin is personal, but the penalty of sin extends like tentacles in all directions. And so... It looks like this. I'm, I'm, I'm the preacher. It's pastor appreciation much. You, you don't have to do anything. You don't, have to, you don't even have to say that. Because you cannot pastor appreciate me more than I am a pastor who appreciates that I get to be here. And I mean that. Kendra knows that. It's not a place on the planet God's called me to, but here. And, and it feels really good. And so I appreciate it. But you know what? If this week, you all didn't appreciate me, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, and Kendra and I talked, did they appreciate you? No, didn't hear a word. I don't feel appreciated. you feel appreciated? No. So you know what? That's fine. If I'm not appreciated, it don't really matter how I live, so I'm just going to live like the rest of the world. So this week, I went over to the Hitching Post in South Clinton. It's a fine establishment. It's right in front of the dumpsters. And I just went in there and I thought, I'm going to go in there and watch a ball game, start throwing back some cold ones. Okay? And I just got lit up real good, so lit up that I couldn't even really drive home. And I had enough sense about me. And 
in there, there was a, a woman in there who just happened to be there on the same day. And I just said, will you take me home? And rather than take me to home, she took me to her home. Mm-hmm. All right. And so I got out of that, and people asked me about it, and I just started lying about it. I didn't go to the Hitching Post. Well, they got a video of you. There's a lot of people look like me. It wasn't me. Okay? No, I wasn't with another woman. I just lied. And just everything that the world offers, man, I just jump in with both feet. Now, let me just tell you something. I promise you, every single person in this church would be affected by that scandal. True? True. You see, my circle looks like you. And you would be affected by my disobedience, by my sinful choices. And you wouldn't like it. It wouldn't feel good. People outside the circle would begin to talk about my circle of influence because of me. And, and all of a sudden, the chatter would escalate. And you would show me your appreciation next week with the pink slip says, you ain't the preacher at Sturkey Hills anymore. Rightfully so. Now, here's the thing. You know what I just said is true. Did you know there's not a double standard between the preacher and the Christian? Because the preacher is a Christian. The standard is the same. Whether you're the preacher or just a Christian. When you live your life in disobedience to God, just like if I do, our circle begins to feel the pain of it. And then we begin to feel the pain of the discipline because we are not the only one in the boat. And when somebody decides, I think I'm the only one in the boat, somebody gets hurt and could almost die. Let me give you an example. About 20 years ago, I was youth pastor in Alabama. And uh, we were going to the Ocoee, whitewater rafting. Stupid idea, but anyway. We'd been there several times, and I had some new 6th and 7th grade boys in my group, a bunch of them, and they wanted to go, but their moms were afraid. That's like all of them got together and said, we're all afraid, right? Okay. So they came down and said, we want them to go, but we're afraid. And I told them, I said, listen, I'll put all those boys, six of them, I'll put them in my boat, and I'll watch them. <laughs> Clark, never do that. So we get down to the Aco, we paid our fee, put our jackets on, and got in a boat. It was me, six middle school boys, and a great big woman who I've never seen in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm a great big guy, so I can say that, okay? And so we started down the Okoe, and the instructor said, if you ever get afraid or if we hit rough water, I'm going to give a command. I, I don't know what the command, I don't remember what the command was, but I, it could have been chicken. Because he would say the word, and every time we got close to white water, these chicken middle schoolers jumped in the bottom of the boat. And it was me and the guide trying to keep this boat under control. If you've never been to the Akoa, you get to the end and there is a rapid class whatever, and it's called the hell hole. I know why. We went into that thing and the, the captain yelled chicken or whatever he did, and all those chicken middle schoolers went down the bottom of the boat. And we went across that hell hole rapid, and the front of the boat was looking over this thing, and, and he's screaming at me what to do, and I'm trying to do it. And that big woman in the boat, she thought that boat was her very own boat. She put her feet right in the center of my life jacket and kicked me right out of the boat. I don't know who she is, but she's going to hell unless she got saved since then. That was awful. I went across that thing, and the, the rapids sucked me up under the boat. Now, I was raised on one, been around the lake all, all my life, swimming, no big deal. After about a minute and a half underneath that boat, can't get out, praying, God, I told their mamas I was going to watch them. I can't even see them from here. 
but if you want to take me, I promise, if you want to take me home, you know I'm good. I, I'm ready to come home. But otherwise, you need to get me out of here. And the Holy Spirit just told me, stick your hand up, stuck my hand up, got out of the boat. Ended up getting back in the boat. I was a dish rag. I was worse than any middle schooler boy ever. I was laying in the bottom of the boat. I was fighting for, I'd been fighting for my life, seemed like for an hour. You know what happened? Why? We got stuck. I didn't know this. Another boat came forward, shoved us. I was under two boats, stuck. Now listen, that woman, in that moment, she was thinking, I need to help myself. I need to take care of my big old self because uh, this is my boat, okay? This, I came, the, I, I, this is my boat. And because of her decision, only thinking about herself and her own well-being, <laughs> there was a youth pastor who almost died. I've forever changed about being underwater. It took me a while to get over that, okay? It's the same in our life. Maybe not in a boat on the Ocoee, but we make decisions just for us without the consideration of the people in our boat. Jonah bought a ticket, got on a boat to sail from Joppa to Tarshish, and he was unaware. He wasn't the only one in the boat. And I want you to know today, 2,500 years later, we're not the only one in the boat. It matters how we live our lives. It just matters. And so the compelling reason to join the mission, avoid discipline, and to demonstrate love to those in our boat, in our circle, in our world, so that when we give a testimony, it has an impact and it means something. Now, I'm going to finish up. I want to show you how big this really is about our individual decisions and how they affect the world around us. The whole human race today is affected by the choice of Adam and Eve in the garden about 6,000 years ago, I believe, one decision changed all of us, left us marked with a sin curse that only Jesus can make right. When we turn on the news today, yesterday, tomorrow, we inevitably will see a report about something connected to the Middle East. No peace in the Middle East, a radical Islamic terrorist blown something up. Do you realize all of that hinges on the decision of a couple of people? Abraham and Sarah were promised a child that the Messiah would come through, but they got impatient. And so Sarah said, this isn't working out. We have no children. I'm old. Why don't you have a relationship with Hagar? And they did. And they had a son named Ishmael. And to this day, the Islamic world gets their or finds their origin in that one decision that Sarah and Abraham and Hagar made. Today in America there's a Supreme Court and often they bring things before the Supreme Court and one vote, maybe two, changes whether or not that thing passes. And because of it, today in America, nearly one million babies will be terminated, aborted, and ripped from what should be the safest place on the planet through abortion. You see, the decisions we make have influence that reaches beyond anything that we know. 
and it hurts. Your decisions to disobey, my decisions to disobey, don't just hurt me. Don't just hurt the Lord Jesus. It hurts the world that we live in. Romans 5 spells this all out and we're done. Romans 5 says, so then just as sin entered the world through one man and death through that sin. So death spread to all people because all sinned. One man changed us all. That's on the one hand, disobedience. Now what if we decided radically, I am going to leave this place today and I'm going to try to live an obedient life so that there's no negative effects on my world. I want you to know it just doesn't move from negative effects to no effect at all. Moving from disobedience to obedience creates a positive impact on your world. Watch this. In verse 17 of Romans 5, it says, For if by the transgression of one man death reigned through the one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ? On the one hand, the people in our boat suffer. On the other hand, people in our boat are blessed. That is so good. Did you realize that in your life, in your hands, you hold that much impact on your world, on your family, on your job, in your church, in your neighborhood, on your team, in your school, in your family? Obedience on one hand and disobedience on the other. And so a compelling reason to join the mission simply said, you and I are not the only ones in the boat. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to know Jonah did not have a role model like we have. Jonah listened to God and tried to obey or chose not to. He didn't really have someone to look to to say, that's what my life is supposed to look like. You and I have a role model, a model, a mentor, an example. And his name is Jesus. And we've been commissioned, commanded, and called to live, to speak, to love, to do, to act like Jesus. Jesus was 100% committed to the mission of God. Will you and I today commit ourselves to the commission of God? Father, I thank you so much for this little book tucked away in your Old Testament. God, I thank you for this minor prophet Jonah being used by you to demonstrate to us today in 2021 that our decisions matter before you. It cost Jesus his life on a cross and his blood shed there below it. But God, it matters to those in our circle because we're not in this boat alone. 
So God, I pray that each one of us will evaluate ourselves not next to a standard that we know in our world, but before you and the truth of your word. And that we would begin to conform to who it is you've called us and commissioned us to be. God, there may be one person in here, there may be many who have religion in their life. Maybe they've said a prayer in their life, but they're missing the key ingredient, and that is redemption and salvation. They don't have a relationship with you, God, through Jesus, your son. God, I pray if that's true for any person in here, that your Holy Spirit, not me, not a family member, your Holy Spirit will reach into their soul and show them and reveal to them how much you love them right where they are, but how you want to take them someplace different. God, I pray that when you do that, that they would be willing to say, that's me. God, thank you for inviting me in to your forever family. And it is on this day that I ask you to forgive all of my sin. I ask you to come into my life, God, and change me because I can't change myself. I want Jesus to be the Savior of my life. I want Jesus to be the Lord and Master, the boss of my life from this day through all of eternity. And I'll give you praise because I couldn't do anything to fix myself, but you've done it all for me thank you for hearing my prayer now for other people maybe we just realize I have a relationship with Jesus but I haven't been missional I'm not on mission every day my life is full of disobedience I can't give a testimony that matters because my life is a wreck it's okay Jesus paid the price and Jesus says just come back to me just come back to me live for me and I'll bless your life father we thank you for all you do for us we thank you for patience we thank you for loving the unlovable which is us we thank you God that you never give up and we give you praise and glory for it all in Jesus name and God's people said amen now we're not finished yet so just hang on every fifth Sunday which is quarterly every month that has a fifth Sunday we do communion we have two ordinances in the church that we uh, subscribe to, that we practice. One is baptism. And by the way, if you just ask Jesus to save you, please, 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 on your worship guide, fill out that little connection card tear off. Just put your name and say, I got saved today. Put your phone number. I personally will reach out to you and help you and encourage you in your new decision. And I'll schedule you for baptism. That's one of our ordinances. The second ordinance is what we call communion. It's the Lord's Supper. It's where we remember what it is that Jesus has done for us. And there's really not a better time than today because we just talked about and prayed about how we can leave this place more committed to being obedient to Jesus. And that's how we, that's how we demonstrate all of our love and, and uh, respect for God for choosing to save us. And so when we take communion, we just say, I remember what you did for me. Now, we take this very seriously, and so I want to read scripture about communion. This is Paul, and he says this to believers. He says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 27, he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood 
of the Lord. But a person then must examine himself, and in so doing, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep, or they died. Verse 31, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now, in a nutshell, this is what this is saying. When we take communion, we're not to take it flippantly, casually. We're supposed to be serious about, in awe, in remembering what it is that Jesus has done for us. And so I want to invite you to simply, for just a minute or so, just pray and say, God, purify me. Forgive my sin. The known sins, the unknown sins, as David said, forgive my sin. Because I am remembering what you did. And what you did continues to pay the penalty for my sin. And then once you've done that, I would invite you to come down and pick up one of these cups from one of these three tables and just return to your seat. Does that make sense? Pray, come get a communion cup, go back, and I'll give you further instructions. Let's pray. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you. Thank you.